0: Hi everyone, and welcome back to The Moon and You, the podcast that's all about the changing signs of the moon and how we can connect with those to unlock our ultimate potential. My name's Jonah, I'm an Aussie living in South London, and this month we're exploring the sign of Aquarius. Aquarius is the 11th sign in the zodiac, and its name means water carrier or cup carrier, and ironically it's an air sign, not a water sign. It's ruled by two planets, both Saturn, which represents structure, you might remember from the Capricorn episode, but also Uranus, which is the planet of freedom, change, and new ideas. Aquarius is one of the oldest uh, and most well-recognized constellations in human history, and it's found in a patch of night sky called the sea because it sits adjacent to other watery constellations like the constellation of Cetus, the giant whale, and Aquarius's neighbor, Pisces, the fish. It's quite large, but it's not super luminescent. And one interesting fact about this constellation is that a number of the stars that make up Aquarius have exoplanets or planets that circle the stars. Its history and its prominence in the night sky really lend itself to a number of different cultural stories around it. So, needless to say, I'm pretty excited about this sign. And we'll be uh, traipsing all across the ancient world to learn more about its origins, its meaning, and what it might say about Aquarius season, and how we interpret the sign today. I'm sure I'm not alone in feeling like January passed quite quickly, But I've been able to find a few more moments of still this month, particularly when comparing it to December. So I'll begin, as always, with a couple of observations about Aquarius season and what I'm observing in my immediate surrounds. The first thing I've noticed is that in the past month we've had a lot of wind, we've had a lot of storms, some really damaging storms, particularly up north, and a lot of rain, but these have been counterbalanced by a few spring-like days, particularly this weekend that just passed. I've noticed that the mornings have been more dewy and wet than frosty, which is a nice change. And in the mornings, I've been observing a few more songbirds as I wake. There's no dawn chorus yet, but I've still heard the wintry calls of a few birds, like the dunnock and the song thrush. This is no word of a lie. On the way home from the gym today, I saw my first great tit floating about um, the high boughs of an apple tree between um, my place and and my local gym, which was just uh, a nice little reminder that life is starting to spring back into action. The trees are still looking all sort of haunted and creepy with no leaves, but I've noticed that there are more and more of those deep mahogany buds swelling on some of the spring flowering trees like cherries, plums, pears, crab apples. And I can also see that um, there's more and more of those sort of pinecone shaped buds starting to grow and swell on um, rhododendron bushes and azalea bushes. Uh, I mentioned an apple tree just before, and something that I've noticed in the one that grows just behind my flat here is that I can still see some of the sort of gnarled, leathery remnants of leftover fruit um, on some of the branches, and every now and then I'll notice a bird come and sort of pick at it until it drops. And one thing that I've really appreciated more this month than any other month is that With no leaves on any of the trees, I've paid more attention to things like the lichen and the moss that grows on the bare branches, particularly on trees like elm trees, um, but also in garden shrubs. And there's something, um, you know, quite unique and beautiful about the fairy teals and the neon green and yellows and speckly whites that you really can't appreciate at any other time of year while there's leaves on the boughs. And if you're lucky enough to either live or get out of London, the main wild food that starts to become a bit more available at this time of year are leeks. And there's a few different species of leeks, um, and if you are lucky, you'll also spot the heads of early spring bulbs start to poke their head through the soil. And as I record this, I haven't seen a snowdrop just yet, but I'm fully mindful that we're approaching snowdrop season. So I'm looking forward to seeing their beautiful, delicate um, flowers unfold in the sun. So, my something learned for this month is that February was named after the Roman festival of purification called Februa. And during Februa, people would ritually wash themselves and almost cleanse themselves spiritually and physically ahead of the dawn of spring. In Old English, the month of February was called Solomoth, meaning muddy month, which is uh, pretty graphic, or uh, Calamowanth which means cabbage month. So that's a nice little reference to one of the few vegetables that that are available at this time of year. So now that we've done that, let's move on to the stories about Aquarius, this um, very old constellation in the sky. And as always, we'll start with the Greek myths because they're so well recorded. And um, depending on how many Books you read, there are a number of different stories attributed to this sign, but I wanted to draw out two in particular. The first, which is probably the most popular, is around the story of Ganymede. Ganymede was the son of Tros, who was one of, if not the first, king of Troy. And he was a prince that was beloved by the people for his kindness, his generosity, his grace but importantly and famously for his unmatched beauty. The Trojans must have had some super genes or something because Ganymede, like his Trojan descendant Helen, was considered to be beautiful beyond compare and people would travel far and wide just to witness this um, beautiful golden-haired lad The story goes that one day, as Ganymede was doing his thing, tending his flock of sheep, he caught the eye of Zeus far above, and Zeus was so taken by his handsomeness, his charm, his beauty, that he transformed himself into a giant eagle and swooped down from the heavens to lift Ganymede up to the hall of the gods. Zeus bestowed upon Ganymede eternal youth and assigned him the role of cupbearer to the gods, so that Zeus and all of his Olympian peers could appreciate his eternal beauty and charm every day. Zeus, being Zeus, of course, just did what he wanted, and no one witnessed the abduction of Ganymede, so he was greatly missed by the people of Troy. No one knew where he was, and no one missed him more than his father. To console him, Hermes came to Tros. He came to him and said, Fear not, your child Ganymede is up in the stars. We've made him immortal and cupbearer to the gods. And what an esteemed position it was. And in a kind of bizarre way, Hermes gifted Tros with two horses to compensate for, for his father's loss. And these horses were said to be as strong and as stoic as the gods that the Olympians themselves rode upon. Again, Zeus being Zeus didn't quite consider the consequences of his actions amongst his Olympian peers, because the role of the cupbearer had already been held. It was held by Hera's daughter, Hebe, and it's said that Hera's rage was so uh, fierce and strong that she made Zeus immortalise Ganymede in the stars as the cupbearer, Aquarius. Of course, there's a number of poetic retellings of this that say that Zeus wanted to gift humanity the um, the beauty that Ganymede shone upon the world by placing him in the stars. But like a lot of these original <laughs> myths, they, they're kind of rooted in this very human story of pettiness, jealousy, pride, and greed. So throughout history, Ganymede has become a bit of a queer icon. Um, His story has attracted multiple retellings. It's inspired art and literature alike. Even today, archaeologists are still discovering the remains of funerary vases that depict this image of Ganymede being swept up to the heavens, to the immortal realms in the talons of a great eagle, in honour of this particular story. And... Moving on from this one, the second story that I want to tell you about is the story of a great flood, which is very sneakily suspicious to those that we hear today in Abrahamic myths and other stories around the world. This particular story is set at the end of the Bronze Age in the Greek storyline, and this was a time when the mortal men of earth had grown righteous, cocky, and kind of bigger than their boots. In this retelling, the king of Arcadia, Lycaon, chose to sacrifice his own son to gain the favor of the gods. Zeus saw this, and he was furious that Lycaon would sacrifice his own kin to gain divine favor. Zeus saw it as an affront to his most precious creation, humankind. In a rage, he flooded the earth, but not before the savior of humanity, Prometheus, you know, the guy that brought the fire could warn a man named Deucalion and his wife Pyrrha. Prometheus instructed them to build a chest or an ark, which they used to float above the flood as the earth was destroyed below them. Once this was over, and yes, there was a dove involved, Deucalion and Pyrrha consulted the oracle of Themis, what they were to do in order to restore humanity. The oracle said their only hope was to throw the bones of their mother behind their shoulder, but both of their parents had either passed or had been destroyed in the flood. They were feeling hopeless until they realized that all of the creatures of earth were the sons and daughters of Gaia. So together, they picked up stones and started throwing them over their shoulders. It said that those stones that were thrown by Deucalion became men, and those that were thrown by Pyrrha became women. And thus, humankind was reborn anew. The constellation of Aquarius was placed in the sky by Zeus as a reminder of what would happen if we ignored the sanctity of human life. And if we start to explore some of the uh, older myths that come from the Fertile Crescent, uh, Aquarius was a recognized constellation. It was called Gula, which meant the Great One, and it represented the god Ea or Enki himself. You might remember from our cancer episode that uh, Enki was the god of water, and he was commonly depicted holding an overflowing vase. He's a god of water, but also wisdom, and appears in a lot of myths when humanity is in need of a saviour. There's a very similar myth of a great flood that predates even the Abrahamic myth uh, from Sumerian law. And in this story, uh, Enlil, who was the king of the gods, had grown tired of his creations. He saw humans as noisy, needy, and disruptive. So in his rage, he sends forth drought, famine, and plague to wipe humankind out. But Enki, as we know, god of wisdom and water, had a soft spot for the people of earth. So, with each sort of destructive force, he partnered with the people and helped them to counter these threats, so that humans could live on, and, much to Enlil's disgust, proliferate even more. Enlil eventually realized that he couldn't succeed in his task of wiping out humans without a combined effort from the gods, and of course he was the boss, so he called together a council of the gods to agree a plan to wipe humans out. He would command a great flood to cleanse the earth of all its sins, so that it could renew. He also makes all of the gods promise that they will not tell the people of earth about their imminent demise. Enki, again ever the softy and champion for humankind, decided to descend to earth and speak to a man named Atrahasis via a reed wall in secret. He whispered, ''Build an ark, it's the only way that you will survive.'' Course Atrahasis does, the flood wipes everyone out, and Atrahasis finds his way back to dry land with the help of, you guessed it, a dove. Enlil does figure out that Enki has been helping humanity in secret, but when he confronts Enki, Enki, ever the wise one, explains that it's not right or fair to punish innocent people. Enlil, though all powerful, could not match Enki's wisdom. He knew this, so he listened and he learned. Afterwards, he worked with all the other gods to rebalance the workings of the earth itself so that humans would live in balance with nature and not become too populous in the future. What's quite interesting about Aquarius is that it also features in Chinese and Southeast Asian uh, Indian myths as well. And if you look at classical Chinese mythology, the constellation of Aquarius aligns with the Black Tortoise of the North, this constellation is commonly depicted as a tortoise entwined with a snake, and this is in reference to the winter hibernation of both creatures. The constellation is attributed to the qualities of mysticism and the inner struggle of self-realization. Aquarius also aligns with the constellation of Kumba in Vedic astrology, which is connected to the goddess Ganja, or the goddess of the Ganges. It's said that the Ganges River was created when Vishnu, while measuring the universe, pierced a hole in the fabric of it, which caused the primordial ocean to pour through. You'll already know that the Ganges River still has a really important ongoing spiritual place in the minds and hearts of a lot of people in Southeast Asia and around the world, and it's connected to rites of purification, liberation, and enlightenment. And finally, in Egypt, the stars that make up Aquarius are connected to the androgynous divinity of the Nile called Hapi, who is depicted as a water bearer. Hapi's water urns controlled the flooding of the Nile, which, as we know, was an essential part of the agricultural cycle throughout the whole region. So, what do all of these things have in common, and what can Aquarius season teach us about ourselves? I think there's a common theme in all of these stories that aren't just about renewal, but really about rebasing who we are, where we're headed, and what we do with our time here. We can reflect on Ganymede's new life amongst the gods, which is an entire reshift. We can think about the floods, so many floods that essentially rebase the entire human populace of earth. And I think exploring this deeper and reflecting on the tortoise and the snake and, and the connection to the River Ganges, there's something more, um, I guess, spiritual about Aquarius that, that comes up around um, enlightenment, around overcoming turmoil, and attaining a higher state. I think the common theme and take-home across all of these is kind of about letting go of how things are and to a certain extent the possessions that we accumulate in our life. We all know when we read all of these sutras and Buddhist texts, when, when we read the Bhagavad Gita and all of these, um, holy texts from, from other parts of the world that there's a really strong belief that attachment to worldly possessions uh is just not good for our soul. So I think Aquarius um kind of challenges us on that a bit. And perhaps these stories of floods and renewal are here to remind us of that, that what we really need to do to attain a state of peace and connection with the universe that is, is to just surrender a bit and let go of all the physical and mental clutter that surrounds our day-to-day lives. But we'll avoid the existential angst of all of that for today, and instead focus our meditation on the cleansing element of Aquarius. In my mind, I don't see Aquarius as the cup bearer of nourishment. I see Aquarius as the cup bearer of a cleansing rain that we can all access whenever we want or need it. So when you're ready, Find yourself a comfortable space, put yourself in a comfortable position, whether that's lying down or sitting with your back straight, and get ready to go inwards. We'll begin, as always, by focusing on our breath, breathing in through our nose, And out through our mouth, letting our body relax. In through the nose. And out through the mouth. Sinking deeper within ourself with every breath. In through the nose. And out through the mouth. Paying attention to only this. In through the nose. And out through the mouth. Now in your mind's eye above you, see a silver cloud start to form in the sky. See it swirling and growing gently, pulling in all of the purifying energy of the stars above. Swirling and growing silver, and pure. See it grow larger and larger still, swelling with all the cleansing, healing, and purifying energy of starlight, of moonlight, and of all things that bring peace and gentleness to you. Now see the clouds swell and start to break as raindrops trickle down towards you on the earth below and fall upon your crown. As this silver water hits your skin, imagine it gently dissolving away all stress, all impurities and all tension from your mind and from your spirit. Feel the rain trickle down, sliding over your crown, down your face, past your ears. Feel it cleanse away all tension, all impurities and all stress as it moves down further, trickling down like water over the edges of your jaw and down your neck. Feel the rain continue to flow over you, down your shoulders, down your chest, and down your arms. Feel it as it washes over and through your rib cage. Feel it as you breathe in the silver water. Let it fill your body inside and out, your lungs trickling down, flowing further, enveloping you in its gentle silvery light. Feel it trickle down further to the tips of your fingers, letting you feel pure and clean and renewed. As it pours deeper and deeper down your torso, down your abdomen towards your hips, Breathing in that purifying energy as you also let it slide over your body and down further onto your thighs. Flowing down past your knees, down past the shins and calves of your lower legs. Breathing it in as it flows and down again over your ankles towards the tips of your toes. Hold this space of renewal, of peace, of cleansing and of calm. Having the water flow over you, and having that silver watery energy flow within you with your breath. Breathing in through your nose and out through your mouth. Let yourself be totally relaxed, totally clean and clear, one with that silvery light, one with that cloud that connects you to the stars and the moon above and one with your breath and body which connects you to the earth below. Breathing in through the nose and out through the mouth. In through the nose and out through the mouth. Know that you can hold this space for as long or as little as you need. And when you're ready to return to the waking world, gently bring your awareness back to your physical form, to the edges of your body and the air around you, to the sensations of touch, taste and smell, until you again feel anchored in your wholly renewed body And when you're ready to return to the waking world, gently and slowly open your eyes. Well, I hope you're feeling all relaxed and chilled after that exercise, and know that you can return to it whenever you need. So what are some of the practical things that we can do to really vibe with Aquarius season and make the most of it while it's here? I think the most obvious one is to do a spring clean. Aquarius is all about renewal and all about rebasing. So it's a great time to recondo your life, reflect on the clutter that you've accumulated over the colder months and start to gracefully and peacefully let go of them. The second and hardest thing to do is to rid our minds of the clutter and trash that we accumulate from our day job, from our day-to-day interactions, and from the stresses and worries of 21st century life. It's a great time of year to stand up a new meditation routine, to reflect on grace, to reflect on enlightenment, and to reflect on what that actually means. And I think the final thing that Aquarius calls us to do in a much more tangible sense is to reflect on the type of human we are. In all of these stories of floods and abductions of purification, a lot of them come down to one thing, and that is our potential. We could be annoying, we could be nasty, we could be cruel, we could be selfish. Or we could be humans that other humans want to be like, that our spiritual ancestors and our descendants will be proud of. Not easy things to tackle, but thankfully, we've got some time left before the sun comes out to reflect on these things, so that when eventually the sun does properly wake, we do feel renewed and ready to put our best foot forward. And that brings us to the end of this episode. But I hope you enjoyed it and join me for the final installment of this series on the twelfth sign, Pisces. Until then, be kind and look after yourself.